Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges, chapter 20. Chapter 21, we're going to finish up this book this morning. I think there are some pretty significant things here um, that I want to share with you. But the fact of the matter is, is that this whole theme is and has been what happens when God's people compromise with their culture. And what we have here this morning is the total collapse of the nation of Israel. I mean, the total collapse from, from top to bottom, they have just fallen apart. And so we're going to look at some things this morning as we begin to go through. But uh, remember that chapter 20 begins uh, because of what happened in chapter 19, the evil uh, that had taken place there with his Levite and his concubine, which, by the way, his concubine is kind of a second-class wife. She was, she was one that he kind of took in, and she took care of all the household and all the dirty jobs and everything, which is typically our modern-day wives now, right, Lee? That's the way you feel about it. So, um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, and, and here's, here's kind of what I've written down in um, chapter 21, verse 25, the end of chapter 25. Because I want you to understand that what's being told here is not at the end of uh, Samson, the last judge. This is going on in the nation of Israel the whole time. Okay, from beginning to end. Probably early on in the uh, life of the children of Israel, just because they needed a judge. So all the things that we've looked at are probably... Uh, probably been going on for some time now. This is not chronological, so you mix in what we've said the last couple of weeks with everything that we've said before. Chapter 25 basically says, In those days there was no king. The king of Israel was to be someone who pointed the children of Israel to God and made them stay on track. Now, we know how that wound up, but that was the intent. And so the Bible says then, and everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And then here's the little phrase that I wrote under that. With all this going on, imagine what else was going on. You don't have it all. There are, there's, there are periods of here of years and years and years and years and years. Forty years for this judge, 20 years for that judge. A generation, maybe two generations, maybe three generations of all this stuff that's going on. And it's just happening one after another. The hoop of life is rolling. Calling on God for help. Getting out of the will of God. God punishing. Coming to God in repentance. And here it goes. It's just pretty, it's, it's our daily cycle as we begin to go through. Now here's the problem. In our Sunday school class, in our small group class upstairs with our college kids, I've got this written on the, bo- on the board. Conquer or be conquered. It's a pretty good philosophy for our day even that we're living in, right? Conquer or be conquered. And so we see that what has happened here is the children of Israel now have become conquered, not vice versa. The children of Israel were called out, not because they were a great nation, not because there was anything special about them, but God just looked at them. God showed favor toward them. God called them out for the purpose of changing the whole world, turning the whole world to God. But the fact of the matter is, they didn't turn him to God. Uh, They didn't turn them to God. They turned them away from God. As a matter of fact, the, the, the culture outside of the Israelite changed the Israelites. Culture changed them. 
Young people, you've got to be very, very careful that you don't buy into the philosophy of the culture of our day. Just because it feels good doesn't mean that you've that you got to do it. Just because it seems logical doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to take a moment to stop and reflect and think about where this is going to carry you. I said this this morning, and I believe it's true. In our culture and in our day, I ask our, I ask our college kids this morning, what are you chasing What are you chasing? If you're not chasing after Jesus, then you're on the wrong road. And that wrong road is going to land you somewhere that you don't want to be eventually. Now, there is a way good good news is, is God's made detours for us off of those roads. And we can get back on that straight road. But the fact of the matter is, the straight road, the narrow road, is not a very popular road. It's, um, It's a very difficult road at times. Uh, But you know what? If you're going to make it to heaven then you got to follow Jesus down that narrow road. Not the broad road, not the one that leads to destruction. And by the way, I think there's an indication in the language here when the Bible talks about the narrow road and the broad road is that the indication is, is that the narrow road and the broad road collide. So that you're even, I mean, even, so even on the narrow road, you're going up the road and all these people are going this way. Can you imagine? You think you're going up the wrong side of the road. It gets real easy sometime to follow the crowd, doesn't it? So in this case, the children of Israel have fallen into all kinds of sins. I think probably if you were to just put a title on what, they, uh, what, what their problem is and what they're worshiping now, it would be the word that I would call humanism. Here's what humanism is in, in, in a nutshell. Humanism is human reason, not divine revelation. We are driven by our own sense of what we think is right and not by what God's Word says is right. Man's thinking, man's ideas apart from God becomes humanism. Man thinks that he knows better than God knows. That's what it is. Now, what's happened here with these children of Israel is they believe that they know better than God. And the result of that is this idea of everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. That's humanism, ladies and gentlemen. It is rampant. It is a religion in itself. And you need to beware of humanism. You need to beware of a culture that, uh, that, that just goes along with whatever they think is right. Now, there are several things that happen here, and I'm just going to run through these pretty quick. I'm going to make a couple of statements along the way, um, and, and hopefully just kind of grab your attention to get to the end, because we sang a little bit more this morning. That's fine, because you know what, man, both choirs were singing, and I loved it. First time I've sat up here and heard people behind me singing a whole lot, you know, but that's what we do. We are the worshipers, okay? Children of Israel forgot that. They were, they were worshiping all kinds of things. They just weren't worshiping God. And what they thought they were doing was right, but the fact of the matter is they were doing what they thought was right, not what God says is right. Now remember, when a nation collapses, I said this last week and mark this down, when a nation moves away from the teachings of the Word of God, it is headed for destruction. It is the, it is the, the, the moving away, the turning away, the stepping away of the standards of the Word of God that get us in trouble, Okay? Do you know your Bible? You need to know it. So he begins talking about some of these things, and 
The story in chapter 20 really comes from what has happened in chapter 19. You remember this Levite, he goes into Gabeah, which is a, a, a part of Israel. There are Israelites there. He goes in there at night, an old man comes, he wants him to come into his house. The men knock on the door at night, and they want to bring this Levite out, they said, so they could have relations with him. And, and, and the man said, no, take my virgin daughters, or take... Uh, and this man just kind of throws his concubine out there for them to do whatever they want to with. And then when she winds up dead, he cuts her up in pieces, and he sends her to the 12 tribes of, 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Gary, what does that mean? Why did he do that? I'll tell you why he did it, because he's a nut. That's just it. He just is. No spiritual significance to that whatsoever. The guy's crazy. Uh, Or he's trying to cover something up because he does cover it up in chapter 20. Look at what he says. All the children of Israel Israel from Dan to Beersheba and also from the land of Gilead went out and gathered together in an assembly, underlines to it, as one man. Funny how... Some things bring us together. You'll notice it says there, as one man. He says it again in verse 8, as one man. He says it again in verse 11, united like one man. Here's a group of people who, who can't get along. Now, now listen to me. But they unite as one man against their own. The Benjamites were... Israelis, Israelites. They wouldn't go against the Canaanites. They wouldn't fight against the Canaanites. You have some that when they went out to battle wouldn't show up. But you know what? When it came, when it came to their neighbor, when it came to their brother, man, they would they turned on him in a heartbeat. Mark that down. Okay, it becomes important here. And so Israel presents themselves as an assembly of the people of God who numbered 400,000 infantrymen. Bearing sores. The Benjamites heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Mizpah was just a place where they convened. The children of Israel said, tell us how this evil happened. Okay, they've got this Levite here. So the Levite, the husband of the murdered, uh, murdered woman, answered, My concubine and I came to Gabeah in Benjamin to spend the night. Okay? And the leaders of Gabeah rose up against me. No, they did not. It wasn't the leaders. Isn't it amazing how when one person tells a story and another one tells it, how different those stories are sometimes? This guy's trying to save face, by the way. He's trying to throw the blame on somebody else. So, so, so the leaders of Gabeah are uh, accused. Now look at this. At night, they summoned the house where I was staying. They wanted to kill me. No, they didn't. They just wanted him to come out so they could have sex with him. Instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. Well, that's true. They did do that. I seized my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel because they committed an infamous and disgraceful act in Israel. You know what? He did too. He's the one that gave her to him. Be sure your sin will find you out. 
James McDonald said this one time, and I've never forgotten it. We're so, we're so used to saying as believers, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. And he said, no, hate your own sin and love sinners. And I think that's true. But here you have, here, you got a Levite, you got a man who supposedly is a leader, a spiritual leader in Israel, and he's lying. He is lying through his teeth to these people to try to save face. They committed this infamous and disgraceful act in Israel. Now, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here. He's got them all stirred up. Can you imagine being a leader, uh, say, of Judah or Simeon or, or, or one of the other tribes and opening a box and there's a body part in there? And then someone comes along and says, listen, this is what they did to my wife. Benjamin did that. Well, if you got one like that, all of a sudden, guess what? Now, I'm going to say something right here. Hang on to your seat. Okay, hang on to your seat because this is a reality. They committed the sins that Christians love to hate. Y'all with me? What were they? Homosexuality? Rape, murder, hate. We all love to hate those sins, don't we? But you know what started it? Idolatry. Idolatry started it, the whole thing. You see, that's a sin we don't love to hate because the fact of the matter is, when you start talking about idols in people's lives... Then, then, then you know why they start getting a little bit close to ours? We don't like that too much. Gary, what's an idol? An idol is anything that your heart clings to. An idol is anything that you pursue. An idol is anything that's more important to you than your relationship with Jesus Christ. It can be your church. It can be your music. It can be your children. It can be your home. It can be your job. It can be all kinds of things. The fact of the matter is... This whole thing started because they were chasing after other gods. And you say, well, look, you, you know, that, that would never happen in my life. You know what? When you depart from God and start chasing idols, there's no telling in your heart what you will do. Y'all with me? Okay. Start out with idolatry. They didn't, they didn't become this way overnight. They didn't, they didn't go chasing after all this stuff. They didn't have all this sin in their life, all this awful, this sewage. Somebody called this the, the sewer of the Old Testament. This guy has come and he has, he's told a lie, first of all, because of something that he did himself. And it has created a national disruption. Brother against brother. Civil unrest. can't get together with their brothers but they certainly don't have any problem uniting with the Canaanites do they you know what the Canaanites have won them over they have become as the Canaanite culture everything that they looked at at one time and they said listen man that is so evil that is so wicked that is so horrible they're guilty of themselves 
Now listen to this very carefully, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. I want to remind you this morning of one thing. There's nothing worse than brothers and sisters in Christ fussing and fighting with one another. Can I just say something to you? We all have the same enemy. And if we're going to battle against anything, it needs to be against him. Not against each other. I'm going to tell you what, other than, other than the non-negotiables, what are your non-negotiables? Salvation by grace through faith alone. The resurrection of the dead. Um, um, the, the, the shedding of blood that brings forgiveness of sin. The virgin birth. The second coming. The, 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 the ascension of Jesus. All those, what I would call major tenets of our faith, we do not compromise on those. There are some things I, I don't agree with you uh, with, but, but it's not one of the majors. I, I, will, I will not argue with you about a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you what, you come up to me and say there are many ways to God, then we're going to have a problem. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. We can't even get together in front of the world as a church. How in the world is Christ going to be seen through His body if we're totally always fighting with one another? And we see it going on. It's, it's, it, it, it's the way that it is. Liberalism versus conservatism. Racism versus white supremacy. Pro-choice versus pro-life. It's always somebody versus somebody, right? Now, if you'll notice beginning in verse 18, there are three battles. I want to show you something here. There are three battles. And, uh, and I'm just going to have to hurry through these. The first battle is found in 18 through 21. Then the children of Israel rose up, went to Bethel, and asked God, Seems like a logical question. Okay, we're going to go up and we're going to ask God what we should do. Who should go up and wage war against the Benjamites? And the Lord said, Judah first. The children of Israel got up in the morning. They camped at Gabeah. The men of Israel went out for battle with Benjamin. And the men of Israel lined up for battle at Gabeah. Then, Benj- then the Benjamites came out from Gabeah and struck 22,000 of them. Here's the deal. They had 400,000. They said, we don't need but 40,000. Well, first battle, 22,000 got killed. But God told them to go. Right? Hang on with me. There's a lesson in this, okay? It's a good one, too. All right, now look at verse 22. Second battle. It gets a little bit more serious at this point. They're kind of, boy, they're shook up a little bit now. Look at verse 22. The people, the men of Israel, rallied and lined up for battle again in the place where they had lined up on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. Oh, Lord, this happened to us. They asked the Lord, should we advance and fight our brother tribesmen, the Benjamites, again? The Lord said, advance against them. So the children of Israel advanced against the Benjamites on the second day. On the second day, the Benjamites went out from Gabeah to meet them and again struck 18,000 of them. Now, God's done told them to go, told Judah to go. 22,000 of them got killed. He told them the second time to go. 18 more thousand got killed. What's up with that? I'm going to tell you what's up with that. Read through the chapter. They had already made up their minds what they wanted to do. They were just asking God for permission. Some of you 
Some of you go to God sometimes and all you want God to do is give you a wink because of something you want to do that you know is not right. And in the name of God and in the name of spiritual life, you think you can just get by because, you know what, I don't feel it in my heart. I just feel like God's released me from that. I had a guy tell me one time, he was cheating on his wife, God wants me to be happy. I almost cussed. <laughs> and I might have, I don't know, I can't remember. But when I peeled myself off the roof, I scalded him from one end to the other. God don't care about your happiness. God cares about your holiness. And when you are following after the Lord, who was it said that this morning in, in, staff, in uh, Deacon's meeting, I think it was. When you're living in the will of God, God will give you the will of your heart. So here they are and and they've gone to battle, and they've decided what they're going to do. And, and the Lord said, go ahead. Oh, Lord, 22,000 got killed. Oh, Lord, you've got to help us this time. Should we go? Yeah, go ahead. Here's the key, ladies and gentlemen. Third battle, they began to get a little serious. Look at what he says in verse 26. And all the children of Israel, all the people went up to Bethel where they wept and sat before the Lord. They had done that before, but look at this. They fasted that day until evening. Here it is. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Look at this. Before the Lord, the children of Israel asked the Lord because the ark of the covenant of God was there. They asked God according to His word and His will. So, so it was almost like, hey, I made a mess of this, God. What do you want, to do? What do you want us to do? You see, you see the difference here? Because look what God says. Go up against them. I will give you a great victory. Two other times he didn't say that. They made up their minds what they wanted to do. They just wanted God to okay it. Now let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> if you are bound and determined to live in your sin, and you're wanting God to... Verify that that's okay. I promise you, you're going to have to live with the consequences when they come. Look at Romans chapter 1. And God gave them over. You don't want God to give you over. You don't want to be there. That's a place of no return. And so the children of Israel now, they've come before God. They're asking God. They're getting serious with God. And God says, okay, yeah, this time go. The ark was the meeting place of God, and Phineas was his high priest. They did it the right way. That's the reason God gave them a great victory. But here's the lesson. You don't come to God any way that you want to. You don't come to God on your terms. You can only come to God on His terms. Now, I, I heard this this week, and I've heard it before, and I thought, how crazy is that? Because folks were arguing about how to get to heaven. Okay? How do you get to heaven? And here was their here was their rationale. Well, let's just say I'm in Atlanta and I want to go to New York. And I get on a Delta flight and I go to New York. 
Or I can go eastern. Or I can go southwestern. Or You know, I'm, I'm going to get on a plane. The plane, it doesn't matter what plane you fly on. The fact of the matter is, is the plane gets you in your destination, okay? So here's the answer to that. We ain't going to New York City. And we're not going on a plane. Now, now, now look, that's just the, that's the wickedness and the twisted minds that people have today. To, to take an analogy of flying on a plane, going to New York City, to dying and going to heaven. I have to tell you all this, and I'm not going, there's no names, and I don't, I'm not going to tell you how the conversation came up, whatever, but a guy that I know um, had a cousin that passed away, and he was in an alternate lifestyle, and they didn't want, they wanted somebody from the family to speak on his behalf. He said, I'm the only guy all his life. He said, but I couldn't do it. I said, well, why? Because I wouldn't have been able to stand in front of him and tell him the truth. Listen, God's given us the truth. God has given us the directions. God has given us what to say. God has set the standard. And there's no other standard except God's. Sin brings death. Sin has its effect. Sins are not isolated. Sins always catch up to you. Now, I don't, I, I think I agree with this statement I heard this past week. America is not headed for judgment. America is in judgment. We're being judged. So there is this, so I want to show you something. I'm going to show you how wicked they are. Now, they've gone before God, okay, they've gone before God, and God has said, okay, you, okay yeah, go, go do that. I'm going to give them into your hands now. Benjamin must be punished. For what they did. There was no oversight. There was no leadership. There was no spiritual guidance whatsoever. And you know what? They messed up and God punished them for it. With the other nations of Israel. But something else happened in verse 21. Because they, 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 they began suffering from buyer's remorse. What that means is they killed every Israelite except 600 of them. And all of a sudden, they've come to the realization, we've almost annihilated a nation or, 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 or one of the families in the nation of Israel. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not going to ask God what we need to do. We're gonna, we, we've already defeated them. The hard part's out of the way. We can figure the rest of it out. Now, look, these are the people that went before God. God, help us. They worshiped, they fasted, they, they burnt, burnt offerings. The very next chapter, now they got to find wives for these Benjamites because they don't want the, um, the family to be annihilated. I mean, they killed them all. They went over and they killed them all, women, children, everything. There were 600 men left, and the only reason they were left is because they ran to the mountains when the fighting got real tough toward the end. So, they're bringing all this together. They're, they, they're, they have a dilemma. 
They're kind of like the guy, I don't know if I told you one time, there was a guy who had his wedding band on the wrong finger, and somebody said, hey, you got your wedding band on the wrong finger. said, I married the wrong woman. I, listen, I, there had to be a light moment, okay? Now, I want to show you this. This, this, becomes, this becomes unbelievable. So in Mizpah, the men of Israel had taken an oath. I'm going to tell you what, because Benjamin did that, we're not going to give any of our daughters to them as a wife. You okay? We all right so far? So the people came to Bethel and sat there before God until evening. They raised their voices and wept. Sobbing loudly, they said, God, why did you do this? Read it. Now, now that's, a, that's a light translation. But, but look at it. Lord, God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today a tribe is missing from Israel? You want to see God pulling a big old finger at him and go, so your fault. You did it. How many times when we go before God and we want God to okay our little sin and not punishment, and then when the consequences come, it's like, why? Why? You see it? I mean, really, the fact of the matter is, is now they're blaming God for what's just happened. Boy, we're not so far away, are we? So, in the morning, the people got up early. They built an altar there. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Here's what I wrote down. They prayed and they came up with their own scheme. Because it says the children of Israel, the children of Israel said, doesn't say God said. The children of Israel said, Who from all the tribes of Israel didn't go up to the assembly of the Lord? For they had a solemn vow regarding whoever didn't go up to the Lord at Mizpah, uh, stating that he must be killed. Okay, the children of Israel lamented for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What can we do to find wives for these who are left? For we swore by the Lord that we wouldn't give our daughters to be wives. So they said, is there anyone from among the tribe? You know what? They were willing to kill some of their own people because they didn't show up to help them fight. So they're trying to keep their vow. But you know what they've done? They've schemed. They'll scheme. Yeah, I can get around that skin, that, that sin. I'd dance around that sin. It just took the annihilation almost of a whole tribe of Israelites to make them feel good about what they had just done. They learned that no one from the camp of Jabesh Gilead had come come up to the assembly when the people were counted indeed. There was not a man there from among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. Now let me just say this. In a Baptist church, if there's something going on and a decision is going to be made and volunteers are going to be selected 
you better not miss that meeting. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to be on that committee. <laughs> Don't we? Couldn't help but think about that. Okay, well, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a, have a business meeting. Well, if it involves volunteers, you better show up. Because the guy that's never here is the one that gets in trouble. All of a sudden, these guys aren't there. Nobody. They just stayed away. So the assembly sent 12,000 valorous men there and commanded them, go and strike down the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead with a sword. You see, what they should have done, by the way, what they should have done is kill all the Benjamites because of what they did. But I'm going to show you something in a minute. They ought to be killed too for what they've just done. Including women and children. You say, well, that's just not fair. Why would God do that? Why would God allow something like that? I wasn't going to do this. But I'm going to do it anyway. I got this article this week. And here's what it said. I'm not going to name the denomination. But one of the denominations that's not, it's not really mainline, but... Um, in the, in the hymn, In Christ Alone, remember we sing it here, In Christ Alone? Uh, this, this denomination wanted to change the words. Uh, so for that reason, uh, there were a couple of men who refused to change it. And so this denomination wanted the line, On that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, changed to the love of God was magnified. Okay? This denomination has increasingly embraced the idea that God is fully love. Love is love. And the concept of His wrath needs to be downplayed. That drags into long-term theological problems that often wind up dragging proponents of this theological revision right out of Christendom. If the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same, why must so much blood be spilled in the Old Testament if God is all love and love? Trying to resolve it all with God's love being magnified makes no sense. God is love, yes. God is judge, yes. God is holy. That's the reason. Now let me just say this, and I'm going to say this to you. I want you, I want you to hang with me just for a moment. Every one of you Everybody here, every individual here is going to stand before God one day. You're going to die, and you're going to stand before the creator of the universe. And you're going to give an account. And the record is going to be opened. And the books are going to be opened. And if by your name... There is a phrase that says, freed by the blood, then you're going to be all right. But there's going to come another time when it's not going to be that. You're going to be judged by the law. Okay? By the law. And the law says, the soul that sins shall die. 
I want to be judged by him through the righteousness that's imparted to me by Jesus. I don't want to stand before an angry God. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God is angry all the time at sin. So, you know, you're going to stand before him one way or another. Now, you can, you can brush that off. You can do whatever you want to do. But you are going to stand before God. You see, the human solution is kill your enemies. Right? So they got to provide 400 wives for these 600 men. So they kill off murder. They kill off a whole tribe. And there are 400 virgins who are there. And they take them as their wives. But they still have a dilemma. You know what the dilemma is? They still got 200 men that don't have a wife. Now, I don't know why it's Shiloh one time a year that virgins would come out and dance. I don't know. It was just part of a celebration. But here's what they told them. You go over there, you hide in the bushes, and when they come out to dance, you run out there and grab your wife. And they did, and the Bible says, and they became their wives. But hang on to your seat. Hang on to your seat. Because here's what happened. Why did they turn on the Benjamites? Because the Benjamites raped this woman and killed her. Can I tell you, if you'll study it, if you'll study it very carefully, study the language, these women became these men's wives because they raped them. Lesson learned? No. There are too many people who have the philosophy it's okay to do wrong, to do right. Young people, listen to me. It is never a good time to do wrong just because you think it's right. No king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Listen, if there's going to be a standard for culture, if we're not going to collapse like the children of Israel did as a culture, then we have to have a fixed standard. Now, Steve, I know you hunt. A lot of, a lot, a lot of you guys hunt. So let me ask you a question. Had you rather hit... A fixed target or a moving target? Well, I'd rather, if I'm going to shoot something, I'd rather be standing still right in front of me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means we missed the mark. But the fact of the matter is, we missed the mark. The, the mark is set. The mark doesn't move. You see, here's what culture does. Culture keeps changing the rules. Culture comes up with something out of Scripture that they can't justify, and so they just try to find a way around it. But the fact of the matter is, there is a target, and the target is Jesus Christ. But, 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 but these people, you know, they don't, 
they don't want to they don't they don't want to do all that, you know. They they'd rather shoot at immorality and 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 life without God than to try to take God's standard. You know what? I wrote this down just a few minutes ago while we were singing. I'm sure everybody's sitting there going, man, I sure am glad we're out of the book of Judges. It is so vulgar, and it is so godless, and it is so wicked. Well, I got bad news for you. You can read the whole thing. It don't get any better. Anytime that the Scripture is giving you a picture of a man, as godly as we may think he may be, he is still flawed and still has sin in his life. And an ugly picture can be painted of his sin. But I want to tell you something else. Here's the contrast. There is something beautiful in this book. And it's Jesus Christ. The beauty of Christ. It's what stands out in this book. The beauty of Christ is what we embrace and what we love. And it's His beauty against the backdrop of the the darkness. And let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, the darker our world gets, the brighter the life of Jesus is going to shine. I got to singing on my tractor yesterday. How beautiful is the body of Christ. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's only one way out of this world. Is Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Well, you want some good news? Just go to the next book, the book of Ruth, and read about the kinsman redeemer. The one who comes along and buys her and cherishes her and marries her, brings her into a family that's in the line of Jesus Christ himself. But it's all about Him, folks. If you're here this morning, you don't know Him. Can I just say to you, listen to me very carefully. You are in a heap of trouble. You're headed, you're headed to hell. And I know that's not popular, but I flat out tell you, I have to preach the word. If you die without Christ, you are going to hell. But that place wasn't prepared for you. And if you go there, it won't be because because Jesus sent you there, because you chose the path that you've gone. Can I just ask some of you, get off the road to destruction and get on the road to eternal life this morning. Will you do that? I mean, have you thought about that? Will you do that? I mean, really, smartest thing you'll ever do. Just step off that road. There's a detour. And the detour is the cross. Come to the cross. Come to the resurrected Christ. The one who can save. The only one who, who can save. 
And I'm going to, by the way, I can tell you, He wants to save you. He died so that you can be saved. He gave His life. Bradley and I had a discussion here not very long ago. And the 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus He spent with those disciples, it must have been pretty significant. <laughs> because you know what? They gave their lives for it after that. I promise you, Jesus Christ is worth you giving your life for. He gave his life for you. Will you give your life to him?